Welcome to the Innovation Engineer Podcast, where we talk about the hottest trends in tech. In today's episode, we have a special guest, Henrike Hedel. She is the head of tech program at Free Tech Academy and recently returned from a trip through Israel. Plus, she's a fan of Nerdy Max. In fact, when COVID first started out, she made a series of Instagram posts featuring her particular mug of the day. She's a huge space nerd, building Lego models of the ISS and even tried to become an astronaut herself. And the question we ask her today is, will Israel be the next Silicon Valley? Three, two, one. Welcome to the Innovation Engineer podcast, your favorite place for picking brains of your favorite engineers. So grab your nerdiest mug, fill it with your beverage of choice and enjoy. My name is Vashi. My name is Henrike. And today we ask ourselves, will Israel be the next Silicon Valley? But first questions first, Henrike, who are you? And actually, where's Tarek? <laughs> I wanted to ask you this question. <laughs> Usually when I'm in podcast, Tarek is on the other side of the, of the camera. So I'm wondering myself where he is. Yeah, maybe we should ask him in the next podcast. But when I talked about him, he said, I cannot say anything about Israel and I don't want to be the third guy who's just asking dumb questions. You know, there are some podcast formats where you have three people, like an expert and a good interviewer, and then a third person who's just there to ask stupid questions like, oh, I don't know anything about it. So tell me in detail, you know. That could have been entertaining as well, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I told him it's it's best if you have a third person who can ask dumb questions, because normally two people know too much about a topic. And then they are like, talking on a way too high level. So some listeners may not understand what they're talking about because the foundation uh, is actually missing, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about Israel today, right? So first, yes. my beverage of choice today is um, blueberry juice uh, mixed with sparkling water done with a soda stream. I have a soda stream at home, like any German. Germans laugh <laughs> like juice with sparkling water in there. It's like a German thing. And what I learned when I like did a little bit extra research for our episode today, SodaStream is a product from Israel. No, really? Wait, yes, I thought it was like a typical German product uh, invented in Germany, but it's not. If you now tell me also that the Britta water thingy is also from Israel, then I'm mind blown. Uh, <laughs> it's also I, such a typical German thing in, yeah, in my eyes. I have that one too. Yeah, I have same. that one too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know actually where it's from. I need to research it. <laughs> yeah, but you just returned from Israel, actually. You are on a, on a journey in Israel, right? Exactly, yeah. Well, maybe first of all, because um, I haven't answered your first question, who am I <laughs> and what's in my in my mark? So um, I'm Henrike. I'm, we know each other for quite a while. So for the audience, uh, I'm working for Axel Springer, um, for the Free Tech Academy, to be specific. And I'm leading the tech program there. And um, that's also the reason why I was uh, had the honor to travel to Israel to take part in a tech journey. Um, and first of all, this is like uh, my nerdiest mug. It's a Star Wars uh, Christmas carol singers. I oh. thought it can't get any nerdier than that. That's one um, super infamous, actually. <laughs> and uh, it's filled with uh, hot chocolate. Ah, okay. Basically. Yeah. So yeah. I already had like three cups of coffee. Normally I drink coffee, a lot of coffee, but it's today later in the afternoon. So no coffee for me anymore. Yeah, that was also the struggle. Do I have another coffee or do I have a chocolate, hot chocolate? And now I have hot chocolate with has guarana in it, which is kind of caffeine. 
But anyway, it's it's awesome. So little um, unpaid advertising at this point. But um, yeah. Yeah, we will put an affiliate it. link into the uh, show notes, right? Yeah, that's a yeah. good idea. Okay, so I also worked for Axel Springer. And Axel Springer has quite some deep roots in Israel. So mm -hmm. uh, it was one of the, of the founding principles to support the state of Israel. Um, the uh, billionaire wife of Axel Springer, who now owns the majority of Axel Springer for his company, actually his third wife, I think, uh, also donates so much money to Israel. And there is so much uh, of like different foundations uh, which support Israel. So that's why I also was on a journey to learn about innovation and the VC scene in Israel in, I guess, forgot 2017 or 18 so like quite okay. some years ago and i also was the supervisor for a, um, a bachelor degrees um, project which was innovation factors in israel and obviously this is the innovation engineer podcast so if you talk about innovation in europe like israel is the place to go and very important that everyone talks about it here so the question is um, that's a claim they actually have they, they call themselves um, silicon vadi even Like yeah. they want to be the next Silicon Valley. So what do you think? Are they going to be the, the next Silicon Valley? Aren't they already kind of? I mean, from, to be honest, I've read about that also just briefly before I went on this trip because I realized I do not know enough about this country at this point. Um, I was excited to go there and I always planned to go there even like on a private trip because I was so interested in, in the culture and I knew this is kind of Israel is the innovation uh, hotspot, um, full stop. And then I was like, okay, like let's do like a little bit of research up front. And it was everywhere, no matter where you look, it's already kind of claimed that it is the Silicon Valley. And Once you're there and you get in touch with these different startups and even not, not if you just talk to entrepreneurs, if you just talk to anyone and you kind of get an understanding for their mindset and how they act, how they like, like their daily life, it's kind of, it, there's a different mentality and a different spirit. And I kind of feel they already are the Silicon Valley. If you compare this to, I don't know, other European cities or countries basically i don't know what, what was your perception back in 2017 or whenever yeah my first feeling was the same so um i also like everyone gets this book the startup nation the book quite this is like <laughs> you just go onto a plane to like israel they hand out the book that's like oh you need to read this book this is like more like a marketing book like a tourist guide than it's actually a, a, a book so i read it Uh, I also watched then the uh, documentation from Wired. So they produced a three-part documentation about the same topic with the same name. And then later um, I was a supervisor for this uh, bachelor project. And nowadays I have mixed feelings. So um, yes, it was quite mind-blowing when I was there and when I, I learned how they worked. And later in my career, I also worked with multiple people from Israel and um, had more experiences But still, mm -hmm. it sometimes feels like it's part marketing. And the other thing is, what products are from Israel? So now with the Ukraine war, there are so many big companies and SaaS tools, software as a service tools I use where, yeah, we are from Ukraine, please support us. And I'm like, okay, at least four different products I use on a nearly daily basis are from the Ukraine. And Which one? Which products? So from you mean from, from the Ukraine? Yeah, yeah, that you have. You said that you 
you use in your daily life, right? Yeah, I need to check in, uh, check it out. But it was multiple ZAS tools when they sent out like newsletters. We are from Ukraine. We need your support. I forgot which which it were in detail, but it will look it up. Mm -hmm. But then I searched as preparation for this podcast for products from coming from Israel. So uh, I know this one super famous, uh, maybe you can remember it, ICQ, right? Oh, yeah. Did you use it? <laughs> no, I was uh, MSN messenger. Um, you had these two groups, ICQ and MSN, and I was on the MSN side. Yes, <laughs> I had both to like talk with everyone in my class, actually. Ah, oh, okay. So, but then later <laughs> I learned that ICQ is like the famous startup from Israel, which was later sold for $200 million, which started this innovation hype. So this was like the first big exit from Israel. And they realized, oh, you can make that much money from selling like a small tech company with some employees. Yeah. But nowadays I looked it up. So I only found like Wix, which is this website builder, right? And yeah. the SolarStream. And no other famous product I found, I even heard of. So it, and It's true also for the other years. So if I think about other countries, um, you, there are different things which jump into your mind. Uh, products coming like Spotify as a, as a, a very big and successful product and, and others uh, and so on. But if you think about Israel, for the amount of um, venture capital they have, that's also a thing I looked up. Uh, and also how much they claim to be an innovative country. There are not that much super famous internet companies coming from it, actually. That's a valid point. I think... To me, also, if I think about products, uh, Wix comes to mind and um, Tiva, actually. But that could also just be the case because probably they told us about that in Israel as well. But that was like the second one that, you know, like pops up the pharmaceutical company. Um, but yeah, maybe it's more that they um, kind of instead of becoming like big, companies or having like their products themselves on the market that they become features in other companies uh, product portfolio and then it's kind of not that obvious anymore that this is kind of a Israel thing but in there they also drive innovation somehow but it's not that obvious but this is also a thing I realized Israel people from Israel and Israeli companies are not um, sustainable they only work towards the exit. They are not interested in having a long-running product, long-running company. That's not their goal. They want kind of big success. That's what they do. And if it's not successful within a year, they just switch to something else. They are like super driven, super hungry for innovation, but also um, they are not in there for the long game, for the long run. Um, I think what you said yeah, is totally right, but this is like part of the uh, Israeli culture. Yeah. Maybe it's also then that it's more hungry for ideas or something because i mean when they it's also beautifully written in the book i think like when they have an idea or like when they thinking about a, a building a company they do it the next day like they do not like like we would do it like talk to several people like challenging the idea ideate for a couple of months even uh, talk to investors and then at one point you're kind of okay now I have the courage and I'm motivated and I'm uh, starting my company they do it like the next day and it's going like like that but as fast as they build the company as you say then it's already uh, the exit and they start another project kind of yeah yeah and why do you think that is that's a good question um I don't know they They really fast pace probably in everything they do due to different factors. 
when you live in Israel from like after school, um, the whole military experience they get from there. Okay. Start a family, like a college family, bam, 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 still very structured and, um, a lot of experience they gain in a very short amount of time. And then they, they, they just continue in that pace, maybe. Yeah. That's a good bullet point. I also thought about like the environment they live in. So, um, yeah, totally. Uh, they often say um, we are surrounded by enemies. I think this is a very bad attitude, by the way, but that's what I heard and what I heard other Israelis say. But this is like a feeling of, okay, uh, we are getting rockets sh um, shot at us like on a daily basis. Uh, we um, have, uh, or we not live in fear, but we expect terrorists. So when I was there, um, there was a, a terrorist attack. There were like um, two Palestinian people um, going nearly on a suicide mission and they were shot by Israeli soldiers with machine guns um, at the place where I was like 10 minutes before. I walked there through Jerusalem actually and both were shot mm -hmm. actually. And I think when you grow up in this environment where everything is uncertain, when you have a history of uncertainty, when you are like uncertain if your state will be, uh, like your whole country will, will be in, on, on, in war like next month when you don't know if this will happen. Um, this does something to you so everything is more mm. short-lived so they just live by this okay i don't know what's the next day is i accept just today and live by the rules of today and don't, don't think about tomorrow that's why they don't think about long-term success yeah and, and then also like right from the start because they know that no matter what kind of product or business they jump into their market is super super small so right from the start they really think big and how can we scale it and to which other markets we can sell it then so because most of them are then outside of israel obviously um but yeah I, i totally agree also with what you said it's like this constant uncertainty and danger which is around them. Yeah. So Israel has 8.8 million um, citizens living in Israel. So obviously the domestic market is super small, so you cannot really build the biggest businesses in there. So they think more international mm. from the beginning. That's, that's definitely a point. And um, one thing is we had like Yad Steim is like an Israeli company owned by yeah. Springer. And when I was there and talked with them, they also Uh, told me stories about Israeli culture. So a thing uh, they told me, which, what they often say is, oh, oh gosh, we need more meetings. That's a thing you will not hear in any other <laughs> European country. Why do they need more meetings? Because Israelis um, have a tendency, um, because of all these cultural things we just talked about, to just start yeah. with stuff. They don't talk with their colleagues. They don't inform others. They just start. Obviously, if yeah. you're in a bigger company full of people who are maybe very innovative and very good at what they do, but very bad at communication and uh, they just start stuff. So like three different teams and a company started the same things. That's how they do. Mm. They get an idea. The next day, the team jumps onto it. This has various negative effects, obviously, if you are like in a different product cycle. So you have a well-running product, you need other things. That is true. Um, which is also funny because they... I don't think they need that much meetings then anyway, because they also know each other. Like everybody knows everybody kind of in Israel because they're so small. So once they start having a phone call with someone about their idea, they would very quickly get to know if like someone else is already working on it or not, because it's very like a small community in general. Um, yes, yeah. but that's, that's like just part of the cultural things uh, you see in, in Israel. Mm. And um, there are like, Three other things uh, I saw in Israel where they have specific <laughs> words for it. 
The first thing is Tachlis. So that's, yes. that's, a, that's a term they have. And um, the Israelis I met and worked with. So they all, like there are like three different Israelis I work with and others I met through different things. And they all have different things in common. First of all is Tachlis speaking What is directly in your mind? Normally, Germans are very straightforward, but not as straightforward as uh, Israelis are. But we still have the word Tacheles in our uh, dictionary, because I wasn't aware until I was in Israel that it's actually a Hebrew word. I didn't know that. I was like, oh, I know that word. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> yeah, me too. There was yeah. even in, in Berlin, there was even uh, a building called Tacheles full of artists and so on. Yeah, and there will soon be a, a Swedish um, photo gallery will take over this building in later this year. Ah, cool. It would be cooler if it would be like an Israeli uh, uh, art, whatever. Yeah, I, I know that would fit into this podcast now, but as kind of a sweet by heart <laughs> kind of fangirl, I'm really looking forward to it because it's the best also photo gallery if you're in Stockholm. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And <laughs> the other two words are balagan. It's like a mess, like a chaos, where you don't know what actually is going on. That's like how they describe themselves. That's also what I experienced at Yad Steim. That's how companies partially um, operate. So they are not very organized in uh, other parts. And the third thing is my favorite, actually. It's chutzpah. So it's like mm. super boldness. You cannot really translate it. And I've experienced it, it firsthand. Um, some Israelis are so full of them, not full of themselves. That sounds, sounds negative, but so direct and um, full of energy that they are like super bold. Uh, I have seen it uh, in, in colleagues just going over the superior and we're saying, okay, in Germany, sometimes hierarchy is important. So normally uh, if your superior says no, you don't just go to the superior for superior to get your idea approved. Yeah. But that's a thing a lot of, I, I saw multiple Israelis do actually. Yeah. And it's like not perceived uh, rude or like like offensive or something. It's It's totally normal to... Even from the start, you maybe sometimes you do not even go to your manager directly, but already jump over him in the first place because he's not the right one to talk to. I don't know. And it would be totally fine. Something that we cannot really imagine in our, uh, in our daily life. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, um, I really liked it. So uh, I personally on this, uh, on the scale of how direct you can be in your communication. I'm even for a German on the, on the far edge actually already. So if, <laughs> yeah. if I work with people coming from Israel, that's like, that's like just my thing to do actually. That's why I really <laughs> became friends with some of them because like it's the same wavelengths I have. And I would say, okay, I really would like to work for an Israeli company because they operate in a similar way than I do. Yeah. But also like very direct and what I looking back at the week there observed very open and transparent no matter there is no wrong question in in the first place like even if what you think like talking about the conflict there or talking about religious topic where we would hear me maybe careful like can I ask that question is that too personal too intimate or something yeah there, no you can ask anything no matter whom you talk to and that was and they answer you like also full transparent uh, so this way of communication and um not just in the business context like in any context um i found quite refreshing kind of because it really was out of my comfort zone as well sometimes to ask 
questions about the, I don't know, the, their religion or certain traditions or anything where here I would be like, ah, is that okay to ask? I don't know. Uh. Would you say this is like one of the points why they are more innovative? Because for innovation, you need maybe different things than for a long lasting company. So probably, I, I yeah, I mean, it's not so much... Um, No, there are no secrets. There's not like hiding. It's like full transparency right from the start and um, don't have this. Because you, if you talk to other people and they then directly give you honest feedback, you, you can really come up with something unique and innovative instead of like just having someone like because they like you saying like, oh, great idea, Vashi. Yeah, you should do that. And in their mind, they're like, oh, I heard this idea thousands of times and oh my gosh no he will fail but he's my friend i want to support him so i tell him like yeah go for it like this, <laughs> yeah I, i don't think this will ever happen there so in that regard you have probably faster new innovations or like stop non-innovations uh, in the first place yeah yeah that's a very very valid point um, i'm also thinking about like innovation from from terms of venture capital um, because that's what you normally need. And it's a good indicator to see um, how entrepreneurial people are. And I looked the numbers up. So uh, Germany at some point in the, in the past um, spent like half the money in, or like uh, venture capital. It was in Germany um, for 2021, 8.4 billion US dollars. And in Israel, it was um, 1.7 billion dollars. So... Yes, that's that's a big difference. But if you compare the numbers um, from from per capita, like per citizen, um, Israel is number two in Europe. So uh, it's like they nearly spent five times as much on as venture on venture capital um, compared to Germany per citizen. Yeah, that's that's a big number. They are number two in in uh, I think number two worldwide. It was yeah. even worldwide. Singapore is the only uh, country where you get more venture capital or easier per capita. That's, that's a big number. That says a lot. I mean, it, it totally makes sense. Just what what comes to my mind is that if you compare it like in the corporates you you work in, like maybe not actually Springer, they're still quite good when it comes to also invest in, in new ideas and new products and stuff like that on, on that level. But other corporates I work for, like the innovation department was basically a one man show <laughs> and they like active in several countries in, in Europe or the world. And then like innovation is such a, yeah, unimportant part of it, which is, yeah, which is crazy. But if you compare it to the numbers, like how much we as a country invest in this totally makes sense. Yeah, and this is an important part. Um, it's also part of the book um, where they talk about what does the government actually do? So they saw that um, Israel, they don't have much other resources uh, and, and so on. So they concentrated on, on technology and like getting a system where you could easily get um, venture capital for your ideas, where it's easier to fund a company, to create uh, a new product. Um, that's like a big part of being obviously innovative because mm. I could imagine that there are other countries where the people have a similar culture maybe to Israel, but they lack the venture capital system because that's what makes it even possible for so many people to create a new company that they get mm. the money to create this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
And there's one other point I think we need to talk about, the military. Yeah. <laughs> so how was your experience and what did you actually uh, learn when you were in Israel about how important the military there is? Um, well, it's it's everywhere. Like you go down the street, uh, do your shopping here and there and the people with the machine guns, like just casually walking by. I mean, they're not in their military outfits. They're like dressed casually. But they all have their machine guns and uh, and stuff with them, which is something you're not used to when you're from Germany. <laughs> uh, it's not like that when you walk down the the shopping streets here. So um, that was uh, that was something. And then also the people who were with us uh, on this trip from Israel, who kind of organized it with us. Um, they also had a military background. They were openly sharing that and also had like their little guns with them hidden under their shirt and stuff. So kind of having probably like a double role in being our tour guides, but also being like there for our safety. And, um, they did not make that or did not set that in our face, but it was kind of, okay. Yeah. This is, um, this is part of their, Yeah, daily life, which is uh, unusual for us. Yeah, and I, I was also in the, in the military for like nine months and doing my basic training, and it was super boring. So, did I learn anything there? No. <laughs> But in Israel, the people I talked to, so um, I was at, at Magna Ventures, at Microsoft, at an, a startup incubator from a German company there, at Google. So, and mm -hmm. uh, it's a, a cyber spark for cybersecurity and some other companies. The companies, obviously, Axel Springer owned by the time I visited them. And what a lot of people told me, they all had military backgrounds and a lot of founders, uh, they come from special units, actually, in the military. And they said, okay, this is it felt for me like what they told me it's like a small bachelor degree so going to the military in israel means you're like going to school kind of yeah and also beautifully explained in the book that we advertised several times like how this the people you are with during your military time like you will stick with them for the rest of your life like they have a really strong bond um and This is like then to your benefit business wise when you, you know, like decided together building a company or whatever, but also on the, on, in your private personal life. Because when we, we also had like a Shabbat dinner with a Jewish family. You probably also had that yes. back then. I'm not, you, can't, yeah. you, you need to do it. It's like part of the culture there. Such a special evening. And the family we visited, both of them, because also women are, um, by, law i don't know uh, in the military like all of them do this and uh they met there so this is also how they explained it kind of um we go to university and maybe found have like dating experience meet the our partner or you know like have this kind of experience and they have that in the military so um and they're still together since then and this is uh, kind of their dating Uh, environment as well, like the dating platform, basically, which I also found quite interesting. So I think um, the US military is different in, in various regards. First of all, um, you go there only if you want to. So there is no real call of duty, um, which like kind of we have like this basic training you need to go through or like in Israel, it's not, I would not call it basic training. It's three years, wasn't it? It's like really long. Three. Three. Three years even, I think. Wow. Two or three. Yeah, so it's a very yeah. long time you're actually in the military compared to the nine months I went. And in the US, it's like 
more like uh, if you want to go there, then it's a standing army, right? You go there. Mm. And you also have a different system in there. I think the Israel military is small, but also very innovative in that they have the same mentality as like you have in, in the rest of Israel. It's not that hierarchic and they share information very openly and you get a lot of technology training, right? Yeah, and a lot of responsibility right from the start because they, due to the missing hierarchy, kind of even the the newest uh, soldier um, can take over very important um, missions or you know like projects that they have to do, which I don't think was the case in your nine months at the military. Like, what were you were you actually able to decide? anything no 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 i was a warm actually so you, they they treat you that, that that way so you get stupid tasks like okay in germany in the military you don't have anything to do you also don't get very much you get basic training for like your your physical endurance and so on and how to operate weapons like for three months and then you have six months doing nothing so and when like an officer came by and saw it they gave you a toothbrush and say okay clean this clean that so i cleaned um a whole um, stairway completely with a toothbrush and i even cleaned with my comrades uh, a tank with a toothbrush because we had nothing to do that's what you do in the military in germany yeah and this is it couldn't be more different to i think what's the reality for them in israel yeah i think giving young people responsibility really helps them to also learn for the future to create a company or create a product and be a little bit braver because they need to be right exactly yeah we were back to the to the risk taking kind of uh, discussion we had earlier today and it's instead of thinking okay what can go wrong uh, what are the risks they're more like okay what can be the benefit from there it's like different way how they approach things i guess yeah What else did you actually learn in Israel? Oh my gosh. Um, I like so many things, to be honest, because I mean, these six days were so packed with different kind of um, things that we did. So we did not only visit tech companies like like you also did um, and had Shabbat dinner, which is like a completely different field, you know, like experiences, the religion and uh, the food. Um, but what I think was the most interesting thing was when we discussed the um, the conflict, the Israel-Palestine conflict. And we spent one day really just talking about this topic. And we went to Ramallah, to the um, West Bank, and where had a tour guide who was from Palestine, um, who we talked to. And then kind of two hours later, we met with an Israeli army Uh, ex-army general and talk, you know, like listen to his perspective on this whole conflict. And as you can imagine, it was like 180 degree different. They talked about the same situations. They had somehow similar examples um, of, of what is what are the problems in this country, but like from completely different perspectives. And we were like in the middle, like, oh my gosh, like I realized how I do not know enough about this. And it's very one-sided what we get to know here in our media, if there's coverage, because it's kind of a topic that we know all our life, because <laughs> it's it's going on for decades. And it's like this constant buzz, yeah, there's another attack, something in, in the West Bank, aha, and you You're not, it's like, okay, but you cannot really put that into a context or anything anymore. And being there, 
I learned so much about how this affects the daily life of the individuals. Simple things as traveling from Jerusalem out to the West Bank and back and forth and how this is obviously not an easy thing to do and um, how, yeah, how it depends the, the status that you have, whether you have a permanent address in Jerusalem or not and uh, how this affects like the, the, how do you say that, the um, privileges you have, uh, kind of stuff like that. And, um, then realizing, okay, I do not know enough about this and I probably never will get it in full, in, in its full, um, you know, uh, complexity. Cause it's just so hard to grab and it's probably not, we cannot solve this. <laughs> it's, it's also, it's just too, it's it's going on for too long and this whole like political and religious um aspects that come together and that you cannot separate from each other in this situation there just makes it kind of unsolvable and that was really a tough day realizing all that um by talking to these people and and getting these perspectives so that was probably the biggest learning for me that's also the reason why i think israel will never be the next silicon valley so this conflict poses um, a permanent kind of danger, like rockets raining down on different cities. Yes, they have their Iron Dome and like anti-missile systems, but still like infrastructure is an important point and reliability and, and like the political system and stability um, for like investment in other countries and also for attracting people coming there, right? And with this conflict, the bad press and so on. And when I went from Berlin to Israel by airplane, there was a tank outside of the airplane protecting the airplane. And they have so much security in there. And the thing is, Israel is not an open country. So uh, they don't accept many people. So and they even it's easier, way easier to get go 10 times to the US than going once to Israel because they will look so much into your your personal stuff. I need to show my emails because I went there for work reasons. Uh, they wanted emails. They even, if I call your colleague, will he tell me the same story? That's what he asked me. It's, there's no joke. And one colleague who flew with me, they took his uh, um, hand baggage and he needed to put everything, uh, dress down, put everything on the table. And then they did it a second time. So there are two security gates done by Israeli um, I don't know if they are military, but by Israeli people who do it twice before you actually enter the plane. So, and the thing with the Silicon Valley in, in the US is that it's open worldwide. You get talent from China, from India, from Germany. That's the place where everyone goes. It's open for everyone. It's really multicultural melting pot, actually, also technology-wise. Everyone who works in IT dreams of going to the Silicon Valley and working there. This will never happen. And and they can do. Yeah, and you're so right. That's a totally valid point. Because we then also made kind of fun when we left the country, because you also have to go through a lot of security um, when you want to leave again. And because um, he was talking about Yetzstein before as well, like they have a crazy brand awareness in, in the country, like 98% of Israelis, they know Yetzstein, they like everywhere. So we were like, okay, like when they ask us where we were, we of course said we visited Yetzstein because then they're like, oh, we know Yetzstein. <laughs> and like they're all fans of Yetzstein. So that was like the golden ticket <laughs> to leave the country basically. Um, yeah, which is just like a little fun fact, but it's it's really hard to enter and and to leave and yeah I, I agree with you this is the biggest difference probably compared to silicon valley and um 
Yeah. The thing is, I think most Europeans, like from France, Germany, Belgium, um, would not feel safe enough to actually work in Tel Aviv, for example. Um, it's not open for the Arabic world. I would say, I'm not sure about Africa, but it's also, I can't remember people from China actually there, like people from Asia. So Israel is kind of a little bit a walled garden. So yes, they have the, the culture, they have the system, they have great talents. So the talent density because of the military, because they focus so much on tech is really high. I think the school system is also very good. I heard that the universities are ranked on the international ranking very high, but still, To really be in the next Silicon Valley, it's not enough to be in your domestic market, very innovative. They're just not open enough to the world. Mm. Yeah, kind of true. But what was for you back then, like the week you spent there, the first one, the biggest mind-blowing kind of uh, learning or, or insight that you gained? We're like now looking back, okay, this was really, this was a surprise or... I don't know. Obviously, um, one point is definitely the same thing you said, um, the conflict. So obviously everyone has an opinion on it, but when you go there, you actually earn, you're not entitled to have an opinion. Um, I saw a marketing movie from for the Israel side and for the Palestine side, like day and night, different story. Fun fact, it was produced by the same company. So the same um, like video producing marketing company um, as a contract work produced those movies. <laughs> This is like really crazy. And uh, the other point is, I never thought much about innovation factors and how you can be innovative and about cultural differences. So I thought, yes, I worked in, in a department also focusing on creating new projects, uh, creating new brands, new products. That's what I worked for um, by the time. And when I was in Israel, I learned, okay, you miss so much stuff, actually, so that you are like tackling it totally wrong. Um, that was very inspiring. Uh, also to hear the, the, the stories, how they just are brave enough. So one of my friends, before he founded his company, um, he was six months thinking about what he should do, how to get a, a co-founder and so on. So I even started making jokes that he will never start his own company. That much time he actually took to prepare. So And then you see someone in Israel who has a great idea and starts the next day, like you said. And The other point was uh, visiting Magma Ranches and talking with one of the senior partners, how they actually invest in companies. Um, by the time I didn't know much about venture capital, how it works, and I learned so much in there. So, so many cool stuff. Yeah. Also, how to make shakshuka or what did you learn in your cooking class? Uh, I didn't have a uh, cooking class. Um, I, oh, uh, no. I, we ate shakshuka multiple times because it's like a traditional uh, dish. So I made it at home multiple times because I was so... Um, I flashed by the food there. Also, uh, hummus. Um, oh, yeah. I make it. I make it my own. I even uh, make tahini my, uh, myself nowadays. So, like completely, yeah. I buy uh, sesame um, seeds and like uh, the hummus stuff. How is it actually called? Uh, chickpeas. Yeah, right. Chickpeas yeah. and like do everything from scratch. Yeah, it's a different level. And the food in itself, like, uh, I mean, that was definitely one of the best things also about this trip, because I really love Israeli food even before I went there. So that was obviously a heaven. What I found really, um, really funny and really interesting, like always when we went to the restaurant and uh, our Israeli tour guide, they ordered the food for us. And once they brought it all out, the tapas, we started eating and it was so good, but they never stopped 
bringing us food like in such a fast pace and it was like impossible to eat all of it but we wanted to because it was so yummy and it was like continuous cycle and up to the point where some of us had to hold like the hummus in one hand eating with the others because the table was there was no space left anymore and it that was um that was always uh like best best experiences <laughs> i guess it was in tel aviv right Uh, also in Jerusalem, but uh, or like on our way to Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv, yeah. Yeah. So if we talk about the Silicon Valley uh, experience, it's for me it's completely um, bundled with Tel Aviv. So uh, there is even the saying: uh, you you go for for um, preaching and so on. Um, That was in the hostel, right? Um, yes. Jerusalem praise, Tel Aviv plays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was anything okay. else you experienced there. <laughs> where to stop honestly <laughs> there was so much um i think what was i mean i already mentioned the shabbat dinner and and the shabbat service at the western wall that was also quite um interesting to to observe the um the energy in jerusalem in the old city um on on a friday that was that was special and As I said, the, the family, the two couple, uh, like the couple who was who met in the military, they ha were there with their children, and she was a professional singer. So when they then did the, um, uh, they uh, did all the singing that is part of the uh, of the dinner ceremony. Oh my God! We were yeah, and a lot of wine. Lachaim. <laughs> yeah. We were. We all had goosebumps. That was. I don't know. That was such a um, intense and emotional experience. Um, I think that stuck with us, with all of us. Um, and I mean, it was the same day. Maybe that also add up on that. It was the same day that we went to Yad Vashem, which is also something I think everyone should do um, when they are in Jerusalem. Yeah, the um, Holocaust Remembrance Museum. Exactly. That was really really interesting although i mean we all in school we we talk about this we visit um concentration camps this is some part of our history that we really learn a lot about but being in that place and visiting this memorial site which has such a i think so much more information even um compact in in, in that one place um and somehow provided in a very personal way with a lot of personal stories that you read when you go through there. Um, really, that I mean, that makes something with you, especially when you're there as a German. I mean, we cannot, you know, like um, shy away from, from our history. And it's, uh, but it's important that I think you go there and experience that yourself. So this then together with the religious kind of spiritual evening. Um, yeah, that was a... Um, very exhausting day but in a in a very positive way kind of did you actually take anything with you from from Israel where you say okay I, I need to incorporate this into my work life or my personal life my personal life doing like hummus myself and more shakshuka in my life <laughs> that's, that's always good that's always a good idea <laughs> definitely for my work life I mean in general um A lot of people that I want to continue talk to, but I, I think you're going more in the direction, like me personally, how I would change like my work. I don't think I have something. And now from the top of my head, I don't know what I would uh, would want to incorporate. Maybe being more 
upfront and uh, also being more tacheless minded um, when talking about ideas and, and these creative processes. Um, It's hard to do, actually. Yeah. And if you are in the culture where everyone is has the same cultural coinage as you have, where you come yeah. from, like this thing, we are a big enterprise. That's how everything works. It's hard to try to change the system. So, like, yeah. I tried the same. And, like, after some weeks, you fall back into old patterns. Exactly, yeah. But that's also what, what I wanted to do. So the stories about, like, people going over the superior and just believing in ideas so much that they didn't accept the no from their direct superior because they think this is the thing we need to do as a company and really fighting for it. That's a thing um, I took with me and I really tried to incorporate into my daily life. Obviously, you need to be um, kind to your superiors, so mm. don't be unfair, um, different environments and so on. It's, it's a learning process. But I think this one stuck actually with me that if I believe in something that's it's right and the best decision for the company, I fight for it. I don't accept a no from my superior. Now that you say that, actually, this but this comes from the book and not from what I think took away from from the trip. But the um, Apollo thirteen example in the book, I don't know if you remember that one. It it goes directly in that direction. That when there was the Apollo thirteen failure, the way they the team at NASA reacted and like they were really like a team that knew each other inside out. And they went into a room, they brainstormed, they came up with a new solution on how to solve this issue and uh, and implemented it. And years later, with the space shuttle program, there was an incident they could have solved if they would have reacted in the same way. Um, but they didn't because it was they were so back into their routine of like, ah, this isn't too bad. And yeah, this this didn't have that much of an effect on our uh, on our vehicle and everything. But once the it came back down, it, it was I think it was the Columbia um, incidents, which then with reentry kind of exploded. And they could have they could have prevented that from happening if the teams would not have been so comfortable with everything, but really challenge themselves and be more critical. And also the, each individual would like, I do not listen to my superior because I know what's the right thing to do. So I do it. And um, yeah, so this example was really, when I read it, um, kind of had goosebumps because I was like, this is, um, yeah. I still think that what a lot of Israelis do is, Not good for the overall company. As I said, they don't have a tendency to have long-lasting sustainable companies. It's good for short-lived innovation. But if you have a longer-running company, you need a system which is more valid. And I think how, uh, think how Netflix does it, um, where you have like um, um, a captain, actually, uh, who is doing the decision. And even if his superior is not agreeing, he is the one making the decision, not his superior, because that's what they yeah. hired them for. And I think that would be an even better way. So... But this is also hard to implement. What do you think um, actually we all need to do to be more innovative? Change our military system and have like two years of basic technology training forced on everyone? Be surrounded by danger and be like living in, uh, in fear. No, I think the mindset, which is kind of trivial when you think about it, but really live by not thinking about the risk and what can go wrong and why this is like a bad idea or a bad approach, but rather like, okay, what can be the benefit from it? Like what can we gain when we continue that path? Like 
right from the start. It's um, I think it's the one-on-one in you want to be innovative and work in innovation, but we have the tendency to be too critical right from the start and stop good ideas before we can actually they actually can become an innovation that's that's like also a typical german thing i think people from the us they also dream way bigger that's just the way they are they yeah. german will tell you about a product when they are they nearly finished it and in the us yeah. they will even before they even started scratching it out they will tell you how it will work and look like in the future and they're very enthusiastic and i think it's similar in europe with only the the uh, people from israel where they just start doing it, show you the first prototype and they really believe and stuff. So the people I met, they uh, have very, they are, it's kind of a confidence, right? This uh, Tachlis, Hutz passing also comes with a kind of confidence in your own ideas. So I've met people also in Berlin. In Berlin, there are a lot of people from Israel. Um, Hmm. They sometimes even believe in ideas where I would say, this is a really stupid idea. It will never work. People tried it out before, try something separate. But they are so confident that they, um, prefer to actually fail with confidence than to just hear your expert knowledge uh, giving out to them, right? Any famous last words? Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, sure. You're always welcome uh, also to talk about education and tech and journalism if you want next time. Yes, I would be happy to. Maybe then Tarek is also feels like he can contribute something. <laughs> yes, we need a third person to ask stupid questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, thanks everyone for listening. See you again next week at the same time on the uh, same spot with your beverage of choice. Tarek and me are going to talk about the metaverse, actually. Something totally different than talking about Israel. Um, the metaverse. So what is it actually? I have no clue. I only know uh, what Mark Zuckerberg thinks it is. I think Ready Player One. Uh, yeah. If you're interested, uh, join us next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Innovation Engineer podcast. If you take any value from our content, please make sure to rate us wherever you're listening right now. All articles, products, and references we discussed in this episode will be linked in the show notes. Some of the links we provide are affiliate links that generate a small commission for us without costing you extra. Any support is highly appreciated and helps us keep this podcast alive. Visit theinnovationengineer.com to find more content about software engineering, innovation, and the hottest trends in tech today. Stay awesome.